In this two-part interview, we're going to tackle the polygraph examination and bust the biggest myths and misconceptions on them with Lieutenant Colonel Carlos Colon, an Air Force JAG reservist and full-time FBI special agent and polygraph examiner and coordinator. To date, Lieutenant Colonel Colon has conducted over 900 polygraph exams, and in this interview, we'll take a deep dive into what polygraphs are, how they're used in investigations and screening tests, how aspects of them can be admissible in court, the tech behind them, and the experts that use them. Here are a few clips from part one of today's show. But the reality is that there's a lot more to the actual polygraph than the actual charts. Well, what is said during the pre-test and the post-test is admissible because that's just an interview. When we're asking those questions, there's physiological changes that are going on. And those are a result of the autonomic response system in your body. It's what uh, sometimes you hear as the fight, flight, freeze response. Welcome to the Air Force Judge Advocate General's Reporter Podcast, where we interview leaders, innovators, and influencers on the law, leadership, and best practices of the day. And now to your host from the Air Force Judge Advocate General School. Welcome to another episode from the Air Force Judge Advocate General School at Maxwell Air Force Base. I'm your host, Major Rick Hanrahan. Remember, if you like the show, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. This helps us to grow an outreach to the JAG Corps and beyond. We have quite an interesting topic and show for you today on busting polygraph myths with our guest, Lieutenant Colonel Carlos Colon. Lieutenant Colonel Colon is no stranger to this topic with over 900 polygraph examinations under his belt as an FBI agent currently assigned as the Division Polygraph Program Coordinator and Examiner in Tampa, Florida. In fact, we had to postpone our initial interview due to a polygraph exam that he had to conduct. Sir, with that, thank you for taking some time to speak with us today. Hello and welcome. I'm glad I can help you and I'm here today to answer whatever questions and try to shed a little more light on polygraph and some of the myths that uh, I continuously heard throughout my career. Lieutenant Colonel Colon enlisted in the U.S. Army Reserves as a military policeman in 1995 while attending the University of Florida. While continuing his reserve duty, he attended Stetson University and received his Juris Doctor Cum Laude and a master's degree in business administration. In July 2002, he transferred from the Army Reserves to Air Force active duty as a JAG. Four years later, he transitioned out of active duty to the Air Force Reserves as a JAG Individual Mobilized Augmentee, or IMA. In 2008, he entered the FBI as an agent and has been assigned to divisions in Topeka, Kansas, San Juan, Puerto Rico, and now Tampa, Florida. In his first two assignments, he worked in the Violent Crime Squad, Domestic Terrorism Squad, Violent Gang Squad, among other units, and became a division polygraph examiner along the way. He also performed collateral duties to include SWAT operator and sniper, firearms instructor, tactical instructor, among other duties. He is currently assigned the Division Polygraph Program Coordinator and Examiner in Tampa, Florida, and on the reserve side, he is the IMA to the SJA at Herbert Field, Florida. So, sir, kind of with that backdrop, 900 polygraphs. By my um, count, at one polygraph a day, that would take about two and a half years uh, of doing polygraphs. And I thought we as the government weren't really doing these that much anymore. So perhaps you could talk to uh, our listeners a little bit more about this um, uh, in your current duties in both the FBI and also what you do in the Air Force Reserve. Sure, no problem. 
And exactly what you say is one of those things I hear a lot of when people know that or I spoke speak about what I do for the FBI as a polygraph examiner. There's a lot of mystique to it, I guess. It's I've heard everything from, well, that's voodoo. Uh, that's not science, this, that and the other. And a lot of individuals believe because I hear a lot. It's not admissible in court. So why do we do those things of that nature? And we'll go into more detail about that. But for the FBI and for most federal agencies, the polygraph is actually a very important tool. And that's really one of the things I kind of hit with most individuals. It's a tool. That's what the polygraph is. So in my present position, I do a wide variety of polygraphs. And primarily, it's whatever the division needs. I do everything from what we call consider screening polygraph examinations, which are applicants who are applying to the FBI, whether a special agent position a support position, anybody who's trying to get employment with the FBI has to go through a polygraph examination. One of the things that comes up is a lot of people believe that you cannot make that a requirement for employment. However, there is the Employee Polygraph Protection Act that came out back in about 1988. That focuses on commercial businesses, though. For the federal government, especially police agencies, we are allowed to make that a requirement for applying and getting a position with our organization. So I do a lot of those, um, even interns. If we have an intern, a college intern, who is going to work with us, they still have to take a polygraph because it's part of their background investigations. Then we also, as employees, are since we have our background investigations that are conducted every about five to six years, Part of that, depending on your level of clearance, is also a polygraph examination. And this is just to ensure that it's, it's related to security, focusing on that, what we consider to be a counterintelligence-focused examination, just to ensure that we don't have an individual who is engaging in espionage, possibly terrorist activities, as a member of the FBI. Beyond that, there are a wide variety of other polygraphs that I conduct. Anybody going into witness protection program has to go through a polygraph examination. I can potentially polygraph witnesses uh, of any kind of criminal investigation. And primarily, really, the real focus of why I do what I do is, is doing polygraphs of subjects of of investigation. So these are individuals who are alleged to have conducted some kind of crime. And again, we can go into more detail about exactly when it's appropriate to do a polygraph in one of these cases. But my role is to come in and then do a polygraph of that individual to see if what they are saying regarding that alleged crime is true or not. Obviously, a lot of times it's they're stating that they had nothing to do with the allegation against them. So my role is to come in, conduct that polygraph and then see, are they being truthful? Are they being deceptive? And then most importantly, get the information, the truth, get that confession. So that's a wide variety of the type of polygraphs that I do as a FBI polygraph examiner. So, sir, obviously you're sitting on the, on the one side as the examiner uh, in the polygraph, but you mentioned to me in, in prep for this interview a few days ago when we discussed this topic, how what your experience was like as being the examinee. Can you talk to that for a second? Yes, no problem. And that's uh, that's a good one because as an examiner, I've actually been examined myself about four times already. Um, I actually did an internship myself when I was in law school with the FBI. And in order to get that internship, as I stated, I had to do a polygraph. And it was a full polygraph examination, what we call full scope, which was 
my background suitability type questions and counterintelligence focus. And I can tell you going through that, it wasn't a fun experience. <laughs> so I understand the anxiety, nervousness that individuals have when they come in because I've been there. I had to do that one as an intern. And then when I years later actually applied to be a full-time employee, had to do another polygraph, another full scope. So I've been through that process and it is, it's, it's not a very comfortable experience. It's not somebody that anybody looks forward to or anything like that, but it does serve its purpose. And the funny thing about it is when I left my polygraph, my pre-employment polygraph, I told individuals, I'm not sure I'm going to get this job, or I didn't think I was that bred of a person, <laughs> or the polygraph examiner felt like my dad scolded me for every little thing I did. Now, years later, fast forward, being on this side, I kind of understand, oh, I get why he asked me that question. I get why he did that or that. So the polygraph examiner obviously is not there to be my friend when I was on the receiving end of the polygraph, but I get the purpose of it. And it was very important because it made sure that from a perspective of being an employee of the FBI, there was no issues in my background that could cause problems, especially with the amount of responsibility and authority that I'm giving as a specialist in the FBI. And even as an examiner, since I am an employee, I'm subject to my five-year background reinvestigations. And last year, matter of fact, I had to do my five-year reinvestigation polygraph examination and had to go through the same thing that every one of our employees go through. So again, I understand their frustrations, their nervousness, anxiety, because I went through the same thing. And even knowing the exact questions that were be asked, because it's the same exact test, I still went in there with a lot of nervous anxiety, not because I'm betraying my country or anything, it's just the nature of the examination. But I got through it just fine. And most employees do without any issues and stuff. So it, it's designed like that for a purpose. And when you look at from the macro level of why we do that, it does serve a purpose, especially for the FBI. It's well known. We had Robert Hansen back in the 80s and 90s that uh, betrayed in our country and engaged in a lot of espionage. And that's why we do what we do. It's best to avoid that type of individual and subject the majority of individuals who are not doing anything wrong to a polygraph in order to avoid another situation like that. And sir, we have a, obviously a large audience of, of military listeners, and I can imagine many of them are sitting there going, but we don't do polygraphs in the military. Can you speak to that and also discuss what are the biggest myths and misconceptions about polygraphs? Well, in regards to the military, one myth right there is, is that the military doesn't do polygraphs. That's actually a myth. The military does do polygraph examinations. Now, it does not do them for employment of all military members. Obviously, with the sheer number of military members that come in every year, that would be very difficult. And the reality is, is based upon the clearance that most military members receive, they don't need a polygraph examination. However, there are positions within the military that because of that security clearance, specifically top secret SCI type clearances, those military members do go through a polygraph examination. Matter of fact, I actually have, and even civilians, I should say, and where I'm going with this is living in Tampa, Florida, we have MacDill Air Force Base. We have uh, Special Operations Command, Central Command, as you can imagine, uh, a lot of positions that require those sensitive clearances. And I've actually have conducted counterintelligence polygraph examinations for individuals at McDill in order to get their clearance. So even uh, as a military member or DOD civilian, you could get a polygraph in order to get that clearance. 
Plus, all services, like myself working for the FBI, all services have polygraph examiners assigned to those departments, specifically the Office of Special Operations, uh, excuse me, uh, OSI, for the Air Force OSI, Office of Special Investigations, Army CID, Criminal Investigation Division. They all have polygraph examiners who do a lot of what I do in regards to criminal investigation, polygraph examinations. Matter of fact, our certification to become federal polygraph examiners, when I went through my course, it was with some individuals who were from different services that were going through the program to become polygraph examiners as well. So kind of with that in mind, sir, what do you think are the biggest myths about polygraphs then? I mean, obviously, we have military members within our law enforcement divisions that are trained. Uh, and I think you had mentioned they get trained the same location, correct, that the FBI goes to? Correct. Yes. All federal examiners. So that would be the FBI, DEA, CIA. So all the three letter organizations and all military, as I said, OSI, CID, all uh, NSA, all those organizations, their polygraph examiners for any federal organization goes through the same course, which is the National Center for Credibility Assessment. It's actually out of Fort Jackson, South Columbia, South Carolina. It's about a three and a half month long course. And we all in order to become a federal certified examiner, have to go through that course and pass that course. So what it does is it puts us all on exactly the same standards, following the same protocols when it comes to our administering our polygraph examinations. And NCCA actually inspects all federal agencies as well periodically to ensure that we are complying with the protocol set. And when I'm in protocols is there's, there's different types of tests that can formatting tests that can be done with polygraph. But we all abide by protocols to ensure that, and this will go to some of the myths that we'll be discussing, to ensure that it's not me, Special Agent Carlos Colon, saying an individual is lying or being deceptive. I'm following strict protocols that are all based upon years of research that have been conducted that indicate these are good protocols and what gives some credence to our program as a polygraph examiner. And sir, I think you could also mention that this this train that you get at the federal level is not the same necessarily that you would get at the state level or local level. Correct. There are polygraph examiners. There are actually a ton of polygraph examiners. Local departments. Uh, here, matter of fact, uh, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office has examiners. Tampa Police Department has polygraph examiners. So local law enforcement, local agencies have polygraph examiners. Now, those individuals, because it's not federal, do not go to the course that I went through, that all of us on the federal level go through. There are quite a few different polygraph schools that are out there, and they're administered throughout various states. You can probably do a Google search in your state and see there's a polygraph school where you can go on your own and become a polygraph examiner. There are actually private organizations that individuals become certified polygraph examiners because the polygraph is not just for criminal cases, they're for civil cases as well. Um, you can see plenty of things. And when I mean civil, it goes back to I get the question of, well, hold on, they're not admissible in court. Uh, you know, you have the Employee Polygraph Protection Act that uh, doesn't allow an employer to use that as a basis for employment. And those are all true. The thing, though, is, is a polygraph can be used for various different things. Uh, infidelity cases, um, it, when you have a domestic situation, individuals can pay to have uh, their spouse or a family member polygraph. When it comes to private employers, they cannot use a polygraph for a basis 
for employment. However, say there's a theft within the company, there's an issue going on, and in, evidence indicates a certain individual may be the one responsible. The employer can offer that individual to take a polygraph, and if the individual agrees to it, because a polygraph, one of the things, and this goes to another myth, is nobody can be forced to take a polygraph. I can't force somebody to take a polygraph. And I know some individuals will say, well, you just said in order to get employment with the FBI, you have to take a polygraph. And it's true. That is a criteria, just like you have to pass a physical fitness test to become a special agent of the FBI. There are certain criteria in place. But if you refuse to take a polygraph, that's fine. You have to consent to take the polygraph. Any polygraph examinee that I have, whether it is an employee that we have already working for us, a new applicant, a, an alleged subject of a crime, they all have to consent to the examination. So that's why the polygraph is used in a lot of different forms. So you do have state level examiners either for police agencies or in the private sector. And they go to separate schools based upon whatever criteria the state may put, put in for getting certification to become a private polygraph examiner. And sir, would it be safe to say that there's kind of main two main buckets? Then you have your bucket um, where you use polygraph more or less for the employment decisions, and then your other bucket for um, law enforcement or investigations. Correct. Yeah. The way we break it down is is for those administrative ones, they're screening examinations. Those would be the, for employment purposes. That would be you know the five year investigations. That would be the applicants, whether an intern or new hire contractors that we have. Those are what we consider to be screening tests because we're not going for a specific issue. We're screening for a, a variety of issues to ensure there's nothing there that may cause issues with providing this person access to classified information or employment with our agency. The others are what we call specific issue examination. And these are the ones that are directed to a specific issue. For example, we have a bank robbery subject. I will give a polygraph on that individual specific to the issue of that bank robbery. It's not, well, a bank robbery, a murder, a carjacking. That would be multiple issue, and that's not really in the most effective use of a polygraph. As a matter of fact, that's against the formats that we use. So that's the big difference between the two. There's the screening, which are more the administrative, where you see for the employment stuff, and then the specific issue where you see what we consider operational, criminal investigations, if we have a counterintelligence investigation going on, things of that nature. So I could see listeners, especially our military listeners, going, okay, obviously there's a lot of training done, um, certifications that are needed to be in place, especially at the federal level, and that you can and we do use um, polygraphs, but we obviously we can't use them in court, which you mentioned, but how, what can we use out of a polygraph or what information can we kind of glean or take through a polygraph that could potentially be used in a criminal investigation? Absolutely. And that's what one of the first things I even get that from applicants. The first thing I hear, because I open it up and say, okay, what do you know about polygraph? Tell me, what do you know about polygraph? What, what are your feelings on polygraph during the pretest phase of my polygraphs that I administer? And that always comes up. Well, it's not admissible in court. Well, the reality is, is when it comes to admissibility, it actually varies from jurisdiction. And what I mean by that is federal, state to state. Some states ban it completely, cannot use it at all. Uh, and I'll get to what I mean by all, because really what we're talking about is the actual examination itself, the data that we are talking about. Others uh, can be used, the results can be used by stipulation, and others 
it's all uh, can be admitted uh, on objection. So it all depends on the jurisdiction, first of all. So when people say it's not admissible in court, well, it's not 100% true. And beyond that, even if the data, right, the, the charts that I collect, that's what we call the data, the actual information that I'm looking at to determine whether someone's being deceptive or not, even if that data is not admissible, which in most jurisdictions is not. Uh, matter of fact, you know, for the most part, you can't even mention the word polygraph in, during a, a trial unless it somehow came in by some exception. But the reality is that there's a lot more to the actual polygraph than the actual charts. When I administer a polygraph, there's three phases of a polygraph. There's the pretest phase. There's the actual examination, the administering of the examination where you know, attach all the components and I'm asking the specific questions and collecting data. And what I mean by data is physiological data. That's ultimately what we're looking at when we conduct a polygraph examination, your heart rate, your blood pressure, your sweat gland activity, things of that nature. And then there's the post-test phase. So those three phases. Again, the data, that physiological information that I'm collecting when I'm actually administering the examination may not be able to come in. The results of the examination, whether the person was deceptive or non-deceptive, what we consider passing and failing, because it's really not passing or failing when it comes to a polygraph. For us, we call it if you're not getting through DI, deception indicated, where there's indication that you're being deceptive or whatever it is I'm asking. There's NDI, which is non-deception indicated, where that would be more of the passing. There's no deception indicated on what I'm asking. And then there's middle ground, what we call inconclusive, which is not that you're passing or failing. It's just for a wide variety of reasons, the data is just not clear exactly on which way you're going and will retest the individual. But the reality is, is when it comes to miscibility, it's just that data portion. What everyone forgets is that pretest phase, which depending on what I'm doing, for an applicant, that pretest phase may go half an hour, 45 minutes, because they're pretty standard questions. At that point, the applicant's already been interviewed. They've already provided SF-86 that a lot of individuals who work for the federal government know. And we're just trying to verify that they've been honest and straightforward about all that information they provided. In a criminal test, I may be talking to the subject of that criminal investigation home about the polygraph an hour, two hours, three hours, depending on what we're talking about, what's coming out, things of that nature, before I even administer the examination. If an individual does go DI, where they're indicating deception, my post-test, which is what some may consider that interrogation portion of, an exa of the examination, is to find out exactly what it is that they're being deceptive about, get that specific information, get that confession. Well, what is said during the pre-test and the post-test is admissible because that's just an interview, an interview slash interrogation, which as especially the FBI is really the bread and butter of what I do as a polygraph examiner. And even before I came a full-time polygraph examiner with the cases that I investigated, that's all I did, interview, interrogation, interview, interrogation. And the information that comes out of that is admissible. So when we talk about admissibility, yeah, the data itself, the results on whether the individual went deceptive, indicated or non-deceptive indicated may not be admissible. But everything that that individual tells me during that examination, pre-test, post-test, is admissible. And that is one of those myths that people think, oh, nothing is admissible, which that's not the case. And at the end of the day, for me as an examiner, that data is really confirming what I suspect already during the pretest phase. Because if I'm doing my job well as an interviewer, I have a pretty good indication of where the person is at during that pretest phase anyway. And what I mean by that is based upon my experience, my training, and doing interviews, there's a lot of interviewing techniques that 
we've been trained on and through experience, when you start interviewing somebody, you start getting indicators of, yeah, this person, I'm not getting the full skinny. I'm not getting the, the full facts. There seems to be more here, and this person's withholding information. Uh, so I have a good indication of where this examination is going to go. And the reality is, is the exam itself, the data tends to confirm what I already suspected during the pretest. And then I go into my post-test to actually get the further information. So that's where all that other stuff is admissible. And sir, if I can, if I, if I can interject, is that the benefit of doing a polygraph examination versus just a quote, normal examination? Well, when we say exam, um, I, the way I would differentiate, there's a polygraph examination and then just an interview. Interview, correct. Correct. Yeah. Just to be clarified on that. So, and you're right. What is the benefit of the polygraph? Cause I get that a lot. Well, if it's not admissible, the data, and it's just the interview portion, what's the difference? Why can't uh, non-polygraph special agent investigators do it? And the reality is, is now we have, and most agencies have excellent interviewers that when I went to the academy, we spent a lot of time training on interview and interrogation skills. We had mock mock investigations and actors who would come in and we were practiced consistently, continuously on honing and fine-tuning our interviewing techniques. So yeah, it is not one of those that a polygraph has to be done one over the other. What tends to happen where a polygraph is beneficial is that it's a tool. And that's what I keep telling individuals. It's a tool, like many tools that we have when you're conducting an investigation, whether surveillance, putting up a poll camera, doing a wiretap. A polygraph is another tool. And if used appropriately, it's a very effective tool. Because what differentiates a lot is, is you have an individual and where the evidence is maybe not 100% concrete against the individual, which tends to be in most cases. Uh, it's not like TV where there's always the uh, smoking gun within the last 10 minutes that they all find out and stuff. The reality is in the real world, it is a lot of times to be circumstantial evidence. A lot of evidence points at this individual, but not 100 um, percent. You know, there's the CSI factor that we talk about where I know on TV, you know, I can they pull up their phone and they have DNA data 100 percent on everybody. And the reality is, is we, we do have obviously technology that helps us, but it is a limited factor. So what happens a lot is when an investigator has evidence against an individual, maybe circumstantial, but they believe this individual is they interview the person and the person refuses to take that extra step and admit to whatever it may be. Polygraph is effective because the individual, as long as they consent to take the polygraph, when they come in, they see that polygraph instrument, the tool. That sometimes in and of itself is enough that an individual says, okay, you know what, I'm going to give it all up. If they don't, I get the benefit of now seeing what is physiologically going on with that individual, which an, a fellow agent who is just administering an interview without the actual data portion doesn't see what's going on. And that tells a lot because at the end of the day, what polygraph is, is when we're asking those questions, there's physiological changes that are going on. And those are a result of the autonomic response system in your body. It's what... Uh, sometimes here as the fight, flight, freeze response. Anytime there's a threat put against us, the body reacts, physiologically speaking. And when it comes to being asked questions and deceptions, we all were raised certain ways. Most of us know that lying is wrong. Lying, cheating, stealing is wrong. So as adults, when we go to lie or withhold information or try to be deceptive, our body knows we're doing something wrong and it's a threat to us. And the 
body reacts physiologically speaking. And that's what we're honing in as a polygraph examiner. And I can see that in this data. And that's what helps me confirm what I believe possibly in the pretest and what the investigator who's already interviewed this person maybe multiple times believes. But now we have that hard data where we can confront that to the individual and it is that effective tool that gets them kind of pushed over the edge finally to completely be truthful, put it all out there and tell us exactly what happened. Well, sir, it, it clearly sounds that there are some benefits for sure in using the polygraph as a tool, as you mentioned. But um, when we discussed a few days ago in, in prep for this interview, we both mentioned how we we hardly, if ever, saw the polygraph used in, at least from the Air Force standpoint, on, in criminal investigation. It was a very, I mean, I, don't, I, I personally never saw it used, and I know I'm just speaking for myself, so that's a bit anecdotal, but it just seems to be very rare from in, in a criminal investigation. But obviously, it sounds like the FBI is using this tool quite frequently, right? Quote, unquote. Could you speak to that? Why, why may that be the case where there's a distinction with how it's being used at the FBI? Is this just more of an FBI tool or is this just something that the, the larger uh, JAG Corps just isn't aware of? Yeah, I think it goes to that because when I when I prosecuted as an active duty JAG, I never I never had a polygraph that was ever used. It wasn't even something I thought of. And as we discussed in prep for this, I don't even remember it being brought up when I was going through uh, JSOC to become a JAG officer for the Air Force. In that course, I can't recall it ever coming up and us even discussing it. Uh, when I went through my academy at the FBI, it was something that wasn't really discussed much either. And I think it's that's one of those myths and stuff that in my agency, we use it a lot. But even then, one of the struggles I have is a lot of times is I can't force in our agency, the individual who runs an investigation is called the case agent. They're the ones who come up with the investigative plan. They determine on how the investigations go. They're the lead investigator. I, as a polygraph examiner, can't tell a case agent, you need to use a polygraph and you will use a polygraph in this case. It's for the case agent. It's a tool that they have and it's their determination. Just like when I was an investigator, uh, primarily as a case agent lead investigator before becoming a full-time polygraph examiner. So what happens is, is without that individual even thinking about using a polygraph, I don't ever even get called, even though the case may be a perfect case for the use of the polygraph. And I saw that even as a new agent, when I started out, polygraph wasn't something I really thought about until actually I had a case that I worked with, matter of fact, with Army CID, the Criminal Investigation Division, when I was assigned to be in Kansas out in Fort Riley. I had a uh, old uh, five-year-old homicide case where on base, they pulled a vehicle out of one of the lakes on base and inside there was a badly decomposed body. Long story short, it was unfortunately a dependent spouse that was killed many about five years prior body was put in the vehicle and the vehicle was dumped in the in the water and just through happenstance the vehicle was found well during that investigation there were several different leads and a lot of circumstantial evidence because one of the things in that case the body was so badly decomposed that the autopsy came back without any finding what that meant was they couldn't say was this a suicide was this an accident was this a homicide because there just wasn't enough of the body left to do that However, based upon the circumstance of how the body was found and some other evidence that we had, myself and the CID agents that I was working with believed that this was a homicide. So we pursued the investigation as a homicide. And we had several different leads. One individual we found who was still in the Army was actually at Fort Bragg. And a lot of the evidence pointed at him 
being responsible for the subject's death, which was a female. Well, we used the polygraph. The individual kept denying, denying, denying that had any involvement with the subject's death, uh, had any involvement, even though we had evidence that the individual was romantically involved with with the victim, conduct a polygraph examination, and sure enough, he passed the polygraph. Well, the polygraph, if you recall, I said it was a specific issue examination. So we asked him specifically about the murder being involved in the death of this victim. Well, he passed that. In that polygraph, the polygraph examiner, who's an excellent examiner out of our Charlotte division, uh, he's still an examiner now, and now I'm a colleague of his, as an examiner, he actually was able to get the individual to confess that what was causing him so problem was is he denied having any kind of relationship with the victim because he was married at the time and was still married and was concerned that that would cause problems in his marriage. So I found the polygraph to be very effective, even though this wasn't the actual subject, the individual who did it. It actually helped my investigation because I was putting a lot of resources, myself, NCID, towards this case, towards this individual. And once he passed the polygraph, now our resources, even though we had no other leads at the time, could be focused on trying to apprehend the true subject. Sure enough, through our investigation, now that we weren't focused solely on this individual, we found another individual. Same thing happened. We went to go talk to him, and he actually would not admit to actually be involved in this individual's murder. However, we asked him if he'd be willing to take a polygraph. He decided to take it and failed it, and our polygraph examiner actually was able to get a confession out of him. And sure enough, he confessed to murdering the victim, explained it in detail and everything, which fit what we believe based upon the circumstantial evidence. So that's where I became a believer in polygraph as being an effective tool for an investigation. In that case, we had a lot of circumstantial evidence, but we just couldn't really narrow it down to one specific individual or have enough evidence. And even with this final subject, I remember the AUSA, assistant U.S. attorney that was assigned to the case I was investigating, said, yeah, this guy looks like he did it, but it's all based on circumstantial. Without a confession, we just cannot indict him. So without that polygraph, this individual never would have been indicted. There would never have been justice for that poor victim, and it all ended up working well. So I've I've taken that with me now when I become an examiner and try to explain that to agents that I talk to. Because unfortunately, their only exposure to polygraph is their pre-employment polygraph, which, as I stated at the beginning, is not the best feeling. You don't think, oh, this guy just hates me. He's just out to get me. Even employees with their five years, oh, this guy's just out to get me. So they have kind of that negative connotation with polygraph, so they don't reach out to it. And it's a very effective tool when used appropriately. That concludes part one of the interview with Lieutenant Colonel Carlos Colon. In part two, we continue discussion on busting the biggest polygraph examination myths. If you like this episode, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leaving a review. This helps us to grow an outreach for the betterment of the Air Force and JAG Corps. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Air Force Judge Advocate General's Reporter Podcast. You can find this episode, transcription, and show notes along with others at reporter.dodlive.mil. We welcome your feedback. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher and leave a review. This helps us grow, innovate, and develop an even better JAG Corps. Until next time, nothing from this show or any others should be construed as legal advice. Please consult an attorney for any legal issue. 
Nothing from this show is endorsed by the federal government, Air Force, or any of its components. All content and opinions are those of our guests and hosts. Thank you.